Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When you're a 415-er, 415 you're all about your San Francisco 49ers. And this is where you need to be for news, analysis, and, and, and more. And more. Welcome to the 415 hosted by Evan Gidding and Mark Grandy. What's going on, everyone? Welcome into another edition of the 415ers podcast. As always, on the Odyssey Sports Podcast Network, please download that Odyssey app, rate, subscribe to us. That's Mark Randy. I'm Evan Giddings. We're going to be getting into the second week of OTAs heavily today. Of course, a big name and a big quote coming out of that. Also, some quarterback talk and something about a, a kicker, Mark, I think might be coming out of camp <laughs> as well. Uh, but before we dig into all of it, what's going on, man? How are you? I'm doing well. Uh, we're recording this Thursday evening just after uh, game one of the NBA Finals has gone final. Uh, the the Nuggets come out on top in game number one. We were watching that one at, at the place. Uh, fun game. Uh, it's good that the NBA Finals are here. and it's I know there's a, a lot of summer left to go. But once you get to this part of the year, Evan, I know it's only the, the beginning of June. But once you get to this part of the year, you can just feel football being close. I think... When Sunday comes around, this Sunday, this weekend, we'll be 10 weekends away, 10 weeks away from the start of the preseason of the NFL season, which is kind of crazy. It'll be here before you know it. Uh, So I'm looking forward to that, obviously looking forward and hoping for a fun NBA Finals series. Uh, But I'm doing well, Evan. How are you doing? I'm good, especially considering the fact that I feel like the NBA Finals is already over. So I'm already (laughs) looking towards the next season, which, of course, is football season. Not so fast. Not so fast. Game one, can we just skip to game three and then skip to the trophy presentation? Uh, Denver Nuggets got this thing wrapped up. Okay, okay. But uh, <laughs> no, I, look, I'm with you that it, it does feel like, you know, the seasons are beginning to turn a little bit. And I don't know also if it just doesn't have to, has to do with the fact that the NBA playoffs have not been um, the most marquee, uh, especially for yeah. a lot of Bay Area sports fans around here. And baseball is still, it's not in its infancy by any means, but it's still, I guess, not at the point where a lot of people, I think, tend to turn their attention towards baseball around, maybe around this time, maybe around July. Uh, but obviously there's a lot going on with the 49ers right now. And, you know, we're, we've been taking a look at Trey Lance, been taking a look at Sam Darnold, we'll dig into those guys in just a little bit. But, but kind of the biggest quote coming out of camp, as we're recording this on Thursday, uh, was from Brandon Ayuk, who made big headlines this offseason, tweeting about how he was, you know, a thousand yard receiver as the fourth option in a top tier offense and uh, was extended this this last offseason. And so, you know, his future is not necessarily a question mark, but there are options as to what Brandon Ayuk and the 49ers will do at the end of this season, of course, depending on how it plays out. But he feels very confident that the way it will play out is him, quote, taking off, or he feels like he's about to take off. And Mark, for a guy that had a 1,000-yard year last year, eight touchdowns and was the number one receiver on a pretty dominant offense, 
Uh, those are those are some big big quotes, big words. Yeah, they are big words. You had a thousand yard season, and you're going to take off from that. What does that mean exactly? Obviously, he's extremely confident in his abilities, and he's always been that guy. He he hasn't been shy to say things like this in the past. Um, so it's not necessarily surprising to me that he said something like this. Um, however, um, I, I think it does mean something in this instance. And I think you also just, you look at him now, I haven't been down there in person just yet. Unfortunately, a lot of the, the media sessions have been during the day. Um, and you and I both working at 95, seven, the game during the days, so we can't get down there during those times. Um, but just seeing him at the podium, Evan, uh, I don't know about you, but he seems seems to me like he's put on a bit of weight as well. It seems like he's a little bit bigger and stronger. I know he he what came in at six foot two hundred last year. I wouldn't be shocked if maybe he's up around two oh five, two oh seven, somewhere around there now. Um, he does seem to be a little bit bigger. Um, and and the 49ers, of course, love Ayuk because he's a guy who can work the ball down the field a bit more than some of their other receivers, Debo Samuel is not that deep threat. Um, but even without Brandon Ayuk saying this, Evan, I think you could kind of, or you can kind of see um, another, I'm not sure takeoff or uh, career season is exactly how I would put it, but I think you can just see another progressive season in the cards for Brandon Ayuk. And you mentioned the the wide receiver room and, and Debo Samuel, Brandon Ayuk's big offseason is next offseason. So uh, he desperately wants to have a really good season, assuming he wants to stay with the San Francisco 49ers. He could really use a really big season. So I think the the hints have already been placed before us, even without Brandon Ayuk coming out and saying something like, I'm about to take off this season. I think even without that, you can kind of read the writing on the walls that this might be another season where he continues to improve. I mean, you look at his first three years, he's had more yards uh, every single year, not always more receptions uh, from his rookie to, to sophomore season. He actually went down in terms of the number of receptions, but he has consistently progressed throughout his career. And I think that's going to continue here into his fourth season. Sorry about that. No, I, I I'm hundred percent with you. I, the only thing that makes me, I guess, sort of question the quote about Ayuk is I'm just not sure if he'll get the opportunity statistically to mm. kind of take off more so than he did last year, because he was pretty healthy and I understand he's bigger. I'm sure he's faster. He's been working on his game and I don't doubt that he'll be a better player, but in Kyle Shanahan's offense, there's all, there's so many mouths to feed and you get an added about six or seven weeks of Christian McCaffrey, which you didn't have last year already. So, and Debo Samuels coming up in a pretty big season. I'm sure he's going to want the football. George Kittle has a potential opt out at the end of this season. I'm sure he's going to want to try and improve on what he already built on last year with Brock Purdy, which was six touchdowns in the last, you know, seven games of the regular season. So, I think that Brendan Ayuk does feel like he's about to take off, and I feel like he'll be a better player overall this year than last year. I just wonder if he'll have the opportunity to put up those gaudy numbers that I'm sure he has himself uh, already locked in for. He did have, for what it's worth, I, I do agree with you. I Maybe it's not necessarily a progression in terms of just the pure statistics, but perhaps it's more of 
general impact, if he is the go-to guy on third downs, if he's coming up with, you know, more targets in the red zone and he's turning those into touchdowns, maybe it's something more along those lines. Uh, but but what you said there got me thinking, okay, how did his numbers perhaps change when he uh, was in the offense last year when Christian McCaffrey was added? Uh, McCaffrey's first game with the 49ers was that loss to Kansas City. Uh, now, that he didn't really play like a normal amount of snaps in that game. So his first start was the following week uh, against the Los Angeles Rams on the road. Uh, Ayuk kind of kept it pretty consistent. He had... Seven catches against the the Chiefs, six, six, two, but five, five. He had a a nine-catch game against the Raiders a few weeks later. So looking at just the sample from last year, Evan, I don't know necessarily if that's going to be a huge factor, but I do agree with you. If if there were maybe one factor that I would need to keep an eye on uh, in terms of, like if I was betting a Brandon Ayuk over under, I think the reason why I would be fearful for choosing the overside is just because of the nature of the 49ers offense. You have mouths to feed, and generally they tend to be a, a team that runs the ball more, and when they're playing with a lead, which you would expect them to for a lot of this season, they tend to get a little bit conservative, and that doesn't always mean great things for wide receivers hitting certain receiving benchmarks. So while I do agree with you, um, I, I still think we could see another progression, another step from Brandon Ayuk, even it's even if it's not necessarily statistical. Well, but I also think statistically could be helped by having some more continuity at quarterback, which of course didn't happen last year. And I think that to me was another reason why the thousand yard year, if you want to say it's not as valuable because there's 17 games, I guess mm-hmm. I'll hear you. But I, I did feel like this, the thousand yard season was impressive because of how many different arms were delivering the football to him. And that's the mark of a good receiver, of a great receiver is being able to dominate in the aerial game, no matter who's throwing you the football and guys in his class, like CD lamb, like Justin Jefferson, uh, those guys could go and get open in a phone booth, no matter who was throwing it to him. So if you're Brandon, Ike, I do think there's going to be some steps in that area. And we saw a little bit of it in OTAs today. It was reported that Brandon, I, caught multiple 40 yard passes from both Trey Lance, as well as Sam Darnold. And, the the catch from Trey Lance evidently was not one that was necessarily on target. It was more of a go get me kind of ball. And so that's where I, I believe IU can take the next step is in being more of a bailout receiver as opposed to a system guy, which of course he kind of needed to be and was, I think, in the doghouse a little bit. Not this year, but in in the past year, uh, the year before under Kyle Shanahan, is because he needed to grasp the system first before being able to implement his own style on this 49ers offense. And I think that's where we'll see the next step. And that's where he's talking about taking off is that he's already comfortable. He knows the playbook. He knows ideally who's going to be delivering the football to him. And he feels comfortable with them. And now it's about him, Ayuk, putting his own flair on his uh, on the 49ers offense. I think something about Ayuk that goes a little bit maybe underappreciated, maybe unnoticed as well, is the fact that he's been able to be consistently effective regardless of who's throwing him the football. If you remember a year ago, if we can just forget everything we know about Brock Purdy and just think about what it was like 12 months ago, 365 days ago, 
the the talk of the offseason was Brandon Ayuk and Trey Lance working out together. Do you remember that? They would they would work out together consistently down in Los Angeles. And everyone was, oh my God, like this, this connection is going to be fantastic. We're a little worried about the Debo Samuel and Trey Lance connection because, of course, last year Debo Samuel was in the middle of the contract negotiation where he asked for a trade and the 49ers ultimately ended up getting him the deal that he wanted. And there was some questioning about that connection. But one thing that most people felt pretty confident and certain about was Trey Lance and Brandon Ayuk. And then Brandon Ayuk, uh, you know, goes out there and with the first game under Trey Lance, obviously it's a monsoon game in Chicago, whatever. The results don't really matter that much. He has to then adjust back to Jimmy Garoppolo, does a pretty good job at that. And then Jimmy Garoppolo gets hurt a little past halfway through the season and he has to adjust to this rookie, and he really doesn't miss much of a beat. Um, so I think Brandon Ayuk deserves a little bit of credit for being able to gel with anyone who's throwing him the football. He He's shown that really his entire career. Of course, he's had some up and downs. You mentioned, you know, the, the Shanahan doghouse that it seemed like he was in at certain times in his career. Um, but one thing that has been consistent is, is he's been able to work uh, and and get comfortable with almost anyone who's been throwing him the football. And you're right, with another, uh, I don't know, season coming up where presumably Brock Purdy is throwing him the football, you would imagine that connection just to get even stronger. So that could be, as, as you said, another reason why he is, quote, about to take off. But I think that's an area of Brandon Ayuk's game that maybe doesn't get the attention it deserves because it's not easy adjusting from one quarterback to another. Everyone is so different. They deliver balls different ways. You have to, you know, adjust the way you run your routes and and how you get open depending on who's throwing you the ball. I think Ayuk does a really good job of that. Yeah, and the overlooked aspect of his game is something that he mentioned quite a bit at the podium, the fact that he's felt like he's always been overlooked a little bit. And even as a first round pick, he was in a wide receiver heavy class. So even though he went 25th in the first round, he was still behind a bunch of guys that I'm sure he takes as a bit of a slight Um, Arizona state by no means is, is a powerhouse. Uh, I'm sure there's a lot of other places that he would have loved to go. And of course, now he's the fourth option in a run first offense, according to him. So I think he, he does have a lot to prove in in my mind. This year is about him basically stepping into the spotlight. It's not as if he hasn't been productive. It's not as as if he hasn't been a good player, but he has absolutely been overshadowed by all of those bigger names on offense, the Samuels, the Kittles, the McCaffrey's, those names are the ones that come first. If you're looking at like the the Sunday night football lineup, who's on the marquee, it's always been, well, it was Jimmy Garoppolo, but <laughs> it's going to be George Kittle or it's going to be Debo or it's going to be McCaffrey. Ayuk is fourth, I think, on that sort of pecking order. And uh, so he's got to prove that he should be higher or wants to. Yeah, no, he does. And uh, I, I think... Again, we've we've talked about this so much this offseason. The next offseason is going to be kind of a checkpoint for Brandon Ayuk and the San Francisco 49ers. I don't think pressure is the right word to describe it. I think Brandon Ayuk would more likely look at it as an opportunity, but there's no denying how important this season is for him. Uh, And of course, it's important for the for the 49ers. We've spent so much time this offseason talking about that and their window. Um, but I think even specifically for Brandon Ayuk, 
even beyond team success. And I'm not saying that he is even considering it. It's anywhere in his mind where he would be putting personal success over team success. I'm not saying that at all. Um, but there's just, an, I think, an extra level of importance for this season for Brandon Ayuk. Uh, it's it's more important for him, perhaps you could argue, than Debo Samuel. Debo Samuel has already got his gigantic contract after his rookie deal. George Kittle has that deal already. Christian McCaffrey, of course, we spent a lot of time talking about how little the 49ers were paying him this most recent year. He's already signed a, a pretty big deal after his rookie deal as well. He is, Brandon Ayuk, that is, is the, the one main key contributor on the offense uh, who doesn't have that big deal yet. So I, I think that adds to the importance of this year and Brandon Ayuk's uh, I don't know, willingness or, or his just extra added motivation to, as he said, take off this year. This is the 415ers podcast on the Odyssey Sports Podcast Network with 95.7 The Game. Please download the Odyssey app, rate, subscribe to us there. That's Mark Randy. I'm Evan Giddings. Well, that was maybe the biggest headline from the second week of OTAs uh, in terms of non-quarterback news. Uh, but there were other takeaways we had, Mark, and you know, we can get into the quarterbacks if you want. Um, Brent and I also mentioned the fact that his new locker mate, uh, Jair Brown, has been performing extremely well in his first OTAs. Isaiah Oliver, we got a first look at him as kind of the new nickelback on defense. Uh, the offensive line appears pretty set uh spencer burford and then colton mckivitz don't really have a lot of competition on that right side of the offensive line jake moody knocking down some big kicks and then diamador lenore also apparently performed pretty well against a couple of wide receivers i concluded so i guess the question is mark where do you want to start what were kind of your takeaways from the second week of otas Definitely quarterback stuff, which we'll get to in a little bit. I'll stay away from that for now. Uh, one thing that is really standing out to me, Evan, uh, it is Drake Jackson on the defensive line for the San Francisco 49ers. Uh, the reports are he has put on 13 pounds of muscle this offseason from 252 pounds to 265 pounds. That's what David Lombardi of The Athletic is reporting and that's really big for the 49ers. You remember last year, he had a pretty good start, and, and he was on pace with Aiden Hutchinson, who was a, 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 hot, a top really high pick. He was on pace with him in sacks uh, early in the season, but, but then there was kind of the, the head-scratching, healthy scratches, healthy inactives for Drake Jackson towards the end of the season. Um, and I know the Niners did have some pretty good depth at that, that position last year, but I know, uh, what, a month ago, maybe a few weeks ago, we were talking about expected likely starters. Drake Jackson is the assumed starter at this point at the defensive end opposite Nick Bosa. Um, so the fact that he's had what seems like a very productive offseason bodes really well for his success and the 49ers' ability to pair someone along with Nick Bosa on the ends of that defensive line. Uh, and make this defense that much more formidable. I think his progression is just absolutely key. Maybe not necessarily his, but someone's progression at that outside defensive end spot is incredibly important for the 49ers. Drake Jackson just happens to be the likeliest candidate for that spot. So the fact that he's had what, what seems to be a pretty good offseason, I think is hugely important, and it was on display uh, here in OTA so far. Well, yeah, especially with him basically getting 
DMPs down the stretch of the season. Yeah. Uh, wasn't even active on game day for that for that entire playoff run. So it's a big boost for him, I'm sure. Uh, one one thing, Mark, that that always catches my eye is you know, how much a guy will put on as far as weight in the off season. Drake Jackson's still pretty young, so it's not necessarily out of the realm of possibility. Uh, but to put into perspective, 13 pounds that may not sound like a lot to a ton. You know, there's 18 weeks between the NFC championship game and when we're talking right now, the average human, it is only healthy to put on at most about one pound of muscle per week. So if you do the math, 13 over 18 is about as close as you can get to maximizing <laughs> the, the physical human threshold of, of weight. So this guy has put on quite a bit of, uh, of pounds and apparently is in the three plate club uh, for those power lifters out there. 315 pounds on the bench is a huge mark for a lot of people and for a huge human like Drake Jackson. So I'm glad to hear that he has gotten much stronger because like you mentioned, I'm sure the 49ers are hoping that he can win the job opposite Nick Bosa on the defensive line. Um, the, the big part that, that kind of caught, caught my eye mark was, was Jake Moody uh, because mm. as everyone knows, third round kickers do not come along often. And the amount of them that actually pan out are potentially even fewer, but Jake Moody by all accounts. And according to Jim Harbaugh is the guy. And on Thursday made four kicks, including a 53 yarder, whereas Zane Gonzalez was not as efficient. And it does appear like not only the 49ers have their kicker for this season, uh, still early returns, but it does appear like that pick was used properly because if you can find a guy that you can trust as a rookie right out of the gates and is immediately consistently knocking home long field goals, something that even though Robbie Gold was incredible, incredibly efficient at doing, uh, did not have the kind of range that Jake Moody had. And so they were looking to upgrade from that aspect. Uh, that That's big, Mark. And so I'm glad to hear that Jake Moody is, at least for now, uh, on the straight and narrow because the 49ers don't really have a lot of options if he doesn't turn out to be good. No, they don't. Uh, he has absolutely outkicked Zane Gonzalez to this point. Has he uh, outkicked his coverage? <laughs> maybe. I don't know. I guess we'll find out. Um, and he has definitely outkicked Zane Gonzalez, which uh, is something the 49ers were praying for, of course, because, again, if a third-round kicker fails, that looks so incredibly bad on you as a an organization draft making that pick making that decision so so far so good we'll see when games actually come and if he can keep that up that will be the ultimate test kicking is as much mental as it is physical um we'll we'll see what it's like in regular season games in the NFL but certainly good signs there i'm with you that's a big takeaway because the 49ers absolutely need him to be good otherwise you're going to be scrambling to find a solution and you're not going to to want to do that because that means admitting defeat on a third round pick of a kicker so really big deal there um something else that stood out to me has been i guess the offensive line as a whole we, we talked a lot about and there's still a lot of time in the offseason about how there there might be more moves coming for the 49ers evan um and there still could be but the fact that there there hasn't been anything yet really significant to this point. And based on the way the 49ers are talking about Colton McKivitz, also Spencer Burford, uh, I think just goes to tell you that the Niners are 100% set and confident, and they are content 
with going into the season with these current starters on the offensive line. I mean, just listen to what Chris Furster said about Spencer Burford earlier in the week. Uh, he said this year he has come in and looks like a different guy, is carrying himself differently, the confidence level. I think he's ready to make that step. And I'd say at this point, as much as you can tell from it, he looks prepared and ready to go. Now, that doesn't mean a whole lot. He's, he's not going to disparage any one of his guys on the offensive line. But this is a guy who started 16 games last year. Now, he was kind of in and out throughout most of those games with Daniel Brunskill. But Brunskill has moved on. That spot on the offensive line is Spencer Burford's. And the fact that you hear Chris Furster, who's so respected as uh, an offensive line coach in this league, say things like that about you know a, a young offensive lineman, I, I think uh, is a great sign for the San Francisco 49ers. And you know we talk a lot about that right tackle spot, but just giving a position, any position on the offensive line to a young guy like Spencer Burford, a relative unknown going into last season, that's a big if as well. You don't have, again, you don't have Brunskill there to swap in and out series for series. Spencer Burford taking over that role and not looking back would be huge for the 49ers. And based on what we've seen so far, seems like he's he's doing everything right up to this point, and that's huge for the 49ers. Yeah, um, forgive me if I have some pause uh, about the offensive line. And Chris Furster, like you mentioned, is well-respected. Uh, I also don't think he's going to bury any of his guys. And I do believe that you're right that these signs, these quotes, what I take away from them about the confidence in that right side of the line is that they're not going to make any more additions, that this is going to be their offensive line. Colt McKivitt's going to be right tackle week one. Spencer Burford is going to be right guard as he was last year week week one. But I have only yet to see Spencer Burford throughout an entire season hold up and hold his own. I have not seen Colt McKivitt's do that at arguably a far more important position. And Mike McGlinchey, I know that Furster was kind of comparing him with with McGlinchey, and he might be much maligned by a few fans just because of some of the, I think, unfortunate plays he's been a part of. But uh, Mike McGlinchey was a damn good run blocker for the 49ers. Fine as far as his pass blocking. And so he's got really big shoes to fill, does McKivitz. And I am much more wait and see when it comes to the offensive line for the 49ers just because I feel like in many ways that was their undoing down the stretch of last season, and especially in the NFC Championship game. And they didn't make any upgrades there. Now, if you want to say they got better internally, Spencer Burford, it's his second season. Aaron Banks, third season. Jake Brendel has a chance to step up. Colton McKivitz on that right side gets a starting opportunity. Of course, you know what you got in Trent Williams. I, I guess I'll hear you, but when your biggest potential flaw offensively, which is also a compliment to the rest of the pieces around them, is not exactly addressed, uh, I, I I can't really take Furster's quotes as being reasons to just all of a sudden raise the ba- raise the banner and say we're all good up front. I guess I would fire back, and I I totally I, I agree with you. I feel the same way. I spent a lot of time on the, on the podcast talking about the offensive line and how I feel like they still need to address something. I guess maybe my thought would be if it seems obvious that it's a, a position of need and the 49ers aren't doing a lot to address that. Maybe they have a different conclusion. They have decided, you know what? These guys are actually really good. 
I mean, it could just be as simple as that. Now, of course, more depth is always better than less depth. Uh, and I would feel more comfortable if they were to bring a couple other trusted bodies in, Evan. But perhaps they just feel much more confident about it than we do. It could just be as simple as Colton McKibbins is about to have a breakout season. We just don't know it because we haven't seen it yet. We don't really know a ton about him. Um, so maybe that's the case. That's definitely a, a glass half full perspective of it. But, I mean, maybe the, the 49ers simply know, and of course they know more about this, but perhaps they have a reason to be confident and feel like they don't need to address that position. Where I would meet you in the middle is I feel like this offseason, offensive linemen were getting paid a lot of money, and the 49ers found a chance to spend their big money on the defensive line on a player that was unequivocally one of the best in the free agency class, arguably the best player last season, at his position, mm. Javon Hargrave. Meanwhile, Colt McKivitz offers you an opportunity to not only stay you know, internal and keep that kind of chemistry and cohesion up front, but it also offers you an opportunity to stay cheap. And you can get better value for a guy like McKivitz, even if it means a bit of a fall-off than paying Mike McGlinchey $87.5 million or whatever he made to try and retain him or go out and get another big boy. So I, I think it's probably a little bit of both, whereas the 49ers feel comfortable with McKivitt starting, but they also feel comfortable with what they're paying him, and they're a little bit cash-trapped at this point. That's that's the way I look at it. Yeah, the best of both worlds would be, okay, McKivitz is about to have a better season than McGlinchey, and you saved a ton of money. Yeah. At, but, of course, all we know right now is that they're saving money at that position. We don't know about the performance. Um, One other thing I think to mention before we do move on to quarterbacks, uh, a little surprise perhaps to see Debo Samuel out there this week at OTAs. He was not there week one. He was out there for week two. Uh, Ray Ray McLeod also was out there. Safety Talanoa Hufanga was out there as well. Uh, Juwan Jennings, who was seen on the side last week, he was out there working with uh, with the team for the most part. Uh, so overall improved attendance for the 49ers, most notably Debo Samuel, who many didn't expect to see uh, this early in the offseason. Yeah, I guess that doesn't shock me as much just because last year in a much more contentious offseason yeah. for Debo, he was still also spotted, you know, pretty early in camp after wiping the 49ers from his social and <laughs> may or maybe not asking for a trade. Who knows? Uh, and then was still available and showed up pretty quickly thereafter. So I don't know. I think I think Debo is just a team guy and, um, you know, Bosa, Hargrave, Williams, all those guys are not there. So I, I don't read too much into it like anywhere or the other. Yeah, no, you're, I mean, it doesn't mean all that much. Nick Bosa, you're not going to see him. Trent Williams, you're probably not going to see him. Obviously, Brock Purdy is an injury-related thing. But yeah, I mean, one of your stars, your legit stars, who's been through battles, not showing up to OTAs, not not a big deal at all. This is the 415ers podcast brought to you by the Odyssey Sports Podcast Network with 95.7 The Game coming at you twice a week here in the off season, that's Mark Grandy. I'm Evan Giddings. Listen to us on the Odyssey app. Please download, rate, and subscribe. All right. Well, let's get to the last part of this, Mark, which is, of course, the quarterbacks and how they performed throughout the second week of OTAs. Um, it was interesting to see that Sam Darnold was getting first-team reps, and it, it just feels almost natural the way we've kind of heard Folks talk about both Darnold as well as the 49ers. Trey Lance had first crack at first team reps last week. In the first week of OTA, Sam Darnold appears to be getting the majority of those in week two 
although Trey Lance is still throwing to Ayuk, he's still throwing to first team guys. Um, but I, I don't know from everything that I read from what I've heard and from the few videos that we've had a chance to see Mark, um, kind of seems like a net neutral at this point between the two guys. Like even if Trey Lance and it's kind of tighten up those mechanics and the spiral looks good. Um, it, it's difficult for me to discern any one way, whether Lance or Darnold has a leg up. And so the first place my mind went to is like, where does the tie go? Uh, but I'll, I'll throw it to you and, and what you kind of took away from this week from the, from the quarterbacks. Yeah, I kind of had a similar takeaway. Just hearing what he said about all three guys, you can kind of feel the hierarchy, you know, uh, and it's Brock Purdy, clear number one, and then we'll figure out the rest. I That's kind of what I got as well. I, I couldn't really make a, a ton between Sam Darnold and Trey Lance. I mean, what he said about Sam Darnold was, quote, He's come in. He's been about the work. He's been through a lot in his career. I think everybody that knows football or watches football can see the skill set that Sam has. And then he goes on to talk about how we can, you know, help him with our system and our offense, yada, 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 whatever. Uh, and then for Trey Lance, uh, he says, traded everything he possibly could uh, last offseason to get healthy. And I don't think people realize how difficult that was for him all the while trying to go out every single day and prove that you can be the guy to lead the team. It's not easy, all that. So he, he's talking about how they've both been through a lot, how they're both fighting, and and how they can hopefully get some stability in their careers. Uh, and a lot of it isn't really even talking about their abilities as football players. Um, and I think that's what stands out about me for me about Trey Lance. That's what stands out to me. So many of the San Francisco 49ers comments about Trey Lance tend to be not about his ability on the field. You know what I'm saying? They, they tend to be about his mindset and how he's fighting through challenges and, and how he has handled everything with dignity and grace. And those are all fantastic things. But so much of what his coaches and, and people within the 49ers organization are saying are, this guy's really great. We love him. He is the best. But they just won't come out and say, man, he can really sling the football around. Man, he's a great quarterback. I don't know. I don't, I'm probably reading into it a bit too much, but it, it just seems like that's how this team is tackling the question of Trey Lance right now in the public's eye. They're and they're not wrong. I mean, he is. We've talked about it a lot. He is a fantastic person, and he handles everything the right way. Um, but but these comments as well kind of struck me in that way uh, that, you know, they're just not really talking about his on-the-field ability. Yeah, and we're, we're talking about quarterbacks coach Brian Greasy and yeah. his comments about Sam Darnold as well as, of course, Trey Lance. I would also say that it does make it difficult, I'm sure, for a lot of people to look at even if it's a practice line and you're playing 11 on 11 and there's not a lot of contact, but you know, when you see Trey Lance and the reports from journalists about a six for 12 or, you know, slightly above a 50% completion percentage, you know, in, in his first week in, in some instances, um, it, it does make it difficult. I think to, to kind of look past that for a lot of people 
and maybe even within the 49ers as well, just because that's kind of been the MO for him. His first and even second season last year was he wasn't the greatest practice player. And then of course we haven't seen him be able to put together a large portion of games on the field. So which way do you fall? It's kind of just dependent on your bias. I, I hear you about Greasy's comments and, um, the other theme that I got from listening to what everyone has talked about is just, you know, they're focusing on him just being back, like just, you know, focusing on kind of everything he's had to overcome to this point and not necessarily where he could be going, not necessarily what he has improved on outside of what the public has seen, which is his work with Jeff Christensen and Patrick Mahomes and the mechanics all of that I feel like has been for public consumption and that's been reiterated by the coaching staff, but there hasn't been anything new. And I, I think that's mm. what you're talking about is there hasn't been anything that's been sort of an update along Trey Lance's progression towards hopeful quarterback, maybe of the future, maybe with a different team, maybe as a backup, maybe the second guy, like we, we still don't know. And it seems like they don't know exactly what they want to do with him yet. And I just question if that's going to change. And if not, how does that look? Or does he pretty much just get put on the back burner and you're praying that Brock Purdy can be ready for week one? I don't know. Yeah. And, and look, I get it. You're right. I mean, what do they have to go off of? Uh, to talk about his abilities as a quarterback. I mean, the the general conclusion that I've come to, Evan, if they do not give Trey Lance a chance this season, then they're telling you they've determined that he's not good enough. And they've done that without really seeing much of him in, I, I in game. I don't know if not good enough is the is the term, though. Not Not better than Brock Purdy, I think, is is the way to look at that. Well, yeah, that's what I'm saying. Not good enough to be a starting quarterback on this team, which which would mean you'd have to be better than Brock Purdy. Um, and, yeah, and but I, feel- I think that's a pretty high bar at this point. I mean, just based on what he's... And also, the 49ers aren't in, aren't in a position where they can't... Like, they, they can't just wait and see what they have. Like, if he, if he goes in for four weeks and loses three games but shows promise, that still means they're one in three as a Super Bowl contender. Like, that, th- I think that's also where they're looking at this, too. Like, this guy... Sure, he might be great. It's not that he can't be better than he is now, but he's not right for us now. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, you're probably right that that's the conversation and and the discussion within the walls in Santa Clara right now. But I think in relation to, to the conversation about how he's being talked about, where that comes in is what is there to talk about about him as a quarterback because we just simply don't know whether or not the 49ers internally feel some kind of way about him. And potentially they do feel like they're pretty confident that he's not going to be ever at Brock Purdy's level. Even if they do feel that way, they're of course not going to come out and say something along those lines. But if they don't feel that way and they honestly don't know, then what are they going to say about Trey Lance as a quarterback? Uh, so I, I think that's kind of the nature of these conversations is, well, we just simply don't quite know yet. Uh, and, and that's totally fine. Given the circumstances of the first two years of Trey Lance's career, that is understandable. It should be, and it should feel that way. It's unfortunate for Trey Lance, but it's probably just the nature of the situation. 
I'm also hoping that the conversation surrounding Sam Darnold and Greasy's comments about his skill set and what he brings is just because they haven't really seen him before in person. And, and I don't mean that like I'm hoping that Sam Darnold is not a good quarterback because <laughs> if the 49ers need him, I hope he does perform. I want them to succeed. But I, I'm also hoping that the lack of those comments concerning Trey Lance is because they already know what the skill set is. And maybe you could say it's concerning that he hasn't made a tangible leap immediately that they're like, Oh my God, this guy's blown us out of the water and he's throwing frozen ropes left and right. Uh, but so that's, that's another part of it too, where I'm just kind of thinking, okay, well maybe, maybe they're talking about Darnold this way because he's, he's just the new kid on the block. Yeah, no, I mean, it's kind of like a, the new toy, right. And you're kind of just trying to figure out what you have in him. And again, I think we do have to take all of these comments with, with a grain of salt. I mean, Brian Greasy's a, a television guy in his past before taking this job a year ago now. Uh, he knows how this all works. He's not just going to go out there and and say something spicy to the media for the hell of it. Uh, these are all measured and thought out responses. I mean, this is a, a gigantic organization and franchise and one of the more historic ones in the league. It's not like they're sending their guys out to talk to the media in front of all these microphones and cameras without having somewhat of a, of a plan attached. So these are all well thought out responses by the 49ers, regardless of who you're talking to. Uh, so they're not going to trash anyone. They're not going to over promise on someone that they feel questionable about. They're not going to do any of those things. So uh, it's just interesting to, to, to kind of try to dive through the the way in which they're talking about all these guys and see if we can kind of pick through how they actually feel by reading between the lines. Uh, in the case of Brian Greasy, I, I think you're right on the Sam Darnold standpoint. Um, and it's just kind of interesting given uh, how long, how much longer Trey Lance has been with the organization that at this point, the Lance conversation is much more similar to the Purdy conversation or pardon me, to the Darnold conversation than it is to the Purdy conversation. Well, we'll continue to read between the lines all summer long because <laughs> Kyle Shanahan does it with the best. He gives us the tea leaves, and we do with them what we can. And Brian Greasy, as a former longtime NFL quarterback, I'm sure has a lot of experience doing the same. So we'll continue to do that throughout this offseason twice a week here on the 415ers. That is Mark Randy. I'm Emmy Giddings. Please hit the Odyssey app, download, rate, subscribe. We appreciate you tuning in this week. Just a couple of weeks away from mandatory mini camp in which Oof. we can see all the big boys. We can see these guys in pads and hopefully get a better idea of what we're looking at come 2023. So stay on the lookout for that. We appreciate you tuning in. Have a good rest of your weekend. We'll talk to you next time.